What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> Basically, Gabe's so busy right now, I don't want to take, you know, he's dealing with all this stuff. Deer season starts this weekend, so I don't want to take any more of his time than I have to. Mm -hmm. He came in yesterday and recorded a bit with Chad, so I've actually got that. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that in the podcast. Actually, let's just go ahead and get started. Cool. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, and now with Lee McClellan. How is everyone? And uh, a lot of stuff's coming up, Lee. Let's see, squirrel season's the only thing in right now, but as of this weekend, we will have deer, dove, uh, turkey to hunt as well but it's just a biggie biggie weekend those are some of the big ones i'm excited for it i've been washing all my camo and getting everything ready and oh man this weekend i i think Going i threw my shotgun shells yeah I, th I literally think i went to the uh grocery store and bought meat for the last time this year uh a few days ago i mean if i can make it through the rest of this calendar year without having to go back to the grocery store for beef or chicken i'll be a happy camper mm -hmm. And uh, doves honestly i'm probably looking forward to eating dove as much as anything right now some backstraps always good but Dove on the grill, for some reason, just call my name right now. Yeah, it, fantastic. We got a lot uh, we can talk about today, and I'd like to make Don't it. Don't overcook it. Yeah, that's what the number one rule, right? Everybody over, tends to overcook game. Yeah. Well, and, and you want it undercooked, or I mean, I'm, you know, you don't want uh, well done anything when it comes to wild game. There are some temperature guides out there. <clears throat> For, uh, for wild game, if you just get online and type in a wild game uh, internal temperature or something like that, mm -hmm. if you have a meat thermometer, you can probably cook it just right. Maybe not dove because it's so thin. Mm -hmm. They say if you bacon wrap them, which is how I pretty much do all my dove. And it adds a little fat and gives it a little more tender. I say when the bacon's done, it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what we'll do. But first, let's get off. The biggest thing probably is the finalized changes to the deer eggs, right? Yes. That's uh, And finally, finally got those finalized. There's a new hunting guide going out right now. But I'll tell you what, let's just, uh, I'm going to play this video for you real quick, and we'll have the audio on the podcast, and Gabe basically goes through the changes here with Chad. And then after we watch the video, me and you just jump back in and, and kind of touch on whatever was missed or just give our you know take on whatever. So we can go to that, and then we can jump into a bunch of other stuff, striper, musky. Mm -hmm. I, I caught a big musky the other day. First musky, too. <laughs> first musky. A lot of people are going to be mad at you. Oh, they can be mad. That's fine. <laughs> that, that, uh, first, first musky just happened to be a trophy. Yeah. A trophy fish. So. First hit, first musky, 40 plus incher. That's uh, yep. make a lot of people jealous. Uh, well, I'm not sorry. Too bad. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sorry. <laughs> All right, let me. Let, I, I, I notice you're not crying. No, man. <laughs> let me pull this video up real quick and we'll go ahead and watch this. So we're here today, right on the doorstep of our archery deer season opening up. And I'm here with Gabe Jenkins, deer and elk program coordinator here for the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And Gabe, there's been some changes this year. Right, we've had a lot of changes. A lot to talk about, really. You know, and there are actually two hunting guides out there this mm -hmm. year, one of which was printed and, and delivered. And then there were some updates that have been made and there will be a second hunting guide out there that has update in a big band across the corner of it. So it should be pretty easy to recognize. Let's talk a little bit about some of the changes because there's still four zones mm -hmm. and there have been quite a few counties that have actually changed zones, correct? Correct. Yeah, so if you're a deer hunter in this state, we've effectively changed something for you. No matter if you hunt in zone one, zone four, west, east, south, Kentucky, if you hunt Kentucky and you hunt deer, there's something that's different for you. So it's very important that our hunters look at this new hunting guide, get online, get on the deer page and look at that because we've effectively changed a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the, the changes and the changes that went in place. First off, if you buy a statewide permit or a youth tag or a disabled senior license, mm -hmm. your tag now has four deer tags on it, correct? Correct. 
And it doesn't matter what part of the state you live in, if you go buy a license, it's got four tags. Now, where you can use those tags, that's where it varies. Correct. So yes, four tags. Traditionally, it was two tags for your senior and disabled and for your statewide, the youth, it was just one. That's all gone to four. But where you use those four, it depends on what zone you hunt. Mm -hmm. So Now, we've got to be very cautious when we say you got four tags. It's still one buck. And that's what makes buck hunting and deer hunting such, such a great experience here in the state of Kentucky is that we are getting an older class of bucks, and we're getting really nice bucks here in the state of Kentucky. Absolutely. And, and, and our hunters have come to expect that. They want that. And we agree with that, mm -hmm. that policy is it's one buck, whether it's a spike or the biggest deer you've ever seen in your life, it's one. And we do a great job of managing that. We're actually seeing an or a decrease in the number of yearling bucks, meaning that hunters are recognizing those, passing them, letting them mature to two or to three, and harvesting more mature deer. That's great. And even in zone one county where we go, there's too many deer. Deer need to be taken out. Removing the bucks is not gonna fix that issue. No, not and at all. With allowing people to take unlimited does, or at least four on a tag, and you can go buy additional tags for two additional deer, by doing that, by only taking one buck, our ratio is still pretty close to 50-50 when it comes to take at the end of the year, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. When you when you combine and look at it like we do on the antler of the stake, it's close to 50-50 every year. Let's get back to these zone changes again. So zone one, zone one, tell me about what zone one, what it all consists of. Right, so zone one to us as the managers is we want to see that population be reduced. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not intuitive. When you think one, that's the best. Not really, it's actually the worst. <laughs> we want to bring that population down. It's socially and or biologically out of control. It's not the where we want it. We want to bring it down to that two or that three level. And when you look at large deer that we get records of, we're talking Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young style deer, zone ones, proportionate to how many deer are taken from those counties, don't have the same number of trophy animals, do they? No, no. I mean, when you look at the number of deer harvested compared to the number of Boone and Crockett deer, your zones two and zone threes are really where your most potential is to shoot a big deer. And it's because of the health. It's balanced. It's, it's a healthy, very strong population that's not out of control. Back to zone one. So a hunter who, go, who hunts the zone one county, when he buys his license, like everyone else in every other zone, they have four deer tags, one antler deer, how many does can be taken in zone one? Zone one, it's no change. It's still unlimited antlerless deer as long as you possess those permits. So okay. you get those four deer on your statewide. If you harvest four antlerless deer, you can go buy your additional deer permit for $15 that gets you two deer still. Mm -hmm. You could shoot two antlerless deer there, um, or you could shoot an antler deer and an antlerless deer and, and move that on up through. So you can keep buying that antler deer or additional deer permit um, and keep shooting if you want to. And like the changes were made a couple years ago, if you want to go out and take four antlerless deer, when you buy your bonus permit, you can now make that one of those your buck tag. You're still allowed one, but you can go out and take your four does. Mm -hmm. And when you buy your bonus tag, it's no longer a bonus antlerless. Right. You can use that for your buck tag. It's just an additional deer permit that gives you two deer. Zone two. Zone two, no change. We didn't affect it anything. The only changes in zone two are really the counties that went from a three to a two. So we and really when you buy your initial license, you have four tags. Four instead. tags. But that's, other than the, the take in the counties, there's no changes. Correct. One thing I wanted to point out too, Chad, was that we didn't increase the cost. So you're paying the same money, you're now getting a, more deer. Mm -hmm. Also for our hunters who purchased the license before all these updates came out, we're getting a lot of questions on, you know, I paid for this, it had two originally, did it change automatically? Yes. So if you bought your license back and you bought a sportsman's in April or, or May, and you know you only thought you were getting two, really now you've gotten four. You so it just four. automatically updates for you. Okay, now zone three. Tell me about zone three and how that has changed. 
So zone three, um, a couple different things. We increase the length of the modern gun season. So instead of 10 days, now it's 16 days. Mm -hmm. You've been traditionally allowed to harvest four deer, and that's still the, the case. You can shoot four. However, you can only shoot one antlerless deer with a gun. Okay. And then that can be during the any of the youth, the muzzleloader season, the 16-day modern gun season, but you're only getting one antlerless deer. So you want to shoot more, you got to pick up a bow or crossbow shoot more to handle this deer. In zone three counties, last year their gun season was how long? 10 days. 10 days. This year it's gonna be 16 days. Now the number of deer you're gonna be able to take there with a firearm is actually- Reduced. Reduced. Mm -hmm. So it's more opportunity, right? More opportunity more of time. More opportunity and time. But you, you are still limiting how many deer are being taken from that county with a firearm. Correct. All right, zone four. Most of zone four is where we had all the EHD outbreak and it was impacted pretty hard. So what we did is we actually reduced the overall bag limit from four deer to two. And of those two deer, you know, one antlered buck or one antlerless deer, you're only getting one doe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that doe can be shot during the archery, crossbow, any of the youth, and then the last three days of the late muzzleloader. So the 16 day gun season, it's, it's antlered only. It's antlered only. Mm -hmm. So for an individual that says, well, wait a minute, I live in a zone four county and everyone else got four deer tags and I only got two. Their tag is good for four. Their license and their deer tags are good for four. They just have to hunt outside of a zone four county. Right, they'd have to go somewhere else and hunt. And there are a lot of opportunities on WMAs and you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of places out there to hopefully get permission to hunt. They still have the opportunity to take four. They just gotta do it outside their county. And it's for their own county's deer population's sake, right? Right, and, and we, what we really wanna do is get that population to rebound quickly and then get that county back to a zone three. We don't want there to be zone fours, just like we don't want zone ones. And so helping that population respond quickly, get it back up to where it's more socially acceptable, it's a win-win for all of us. So we're really hoping this will be a temporary thing and get a lot of counties that are in four up to a three. Consider donating to Hunters for the Hungry. Uh, that's something that I've done the last couple of years. I like to try to get out there early and get a deer and, uh, and donate that. So, well, listen, anything else about the season we need to know? Now, the biggest thing is we've changed a lot. So for our hunters, make sure you visit the website, look at the new hunting guide, familiarize yourself. That is the takeaway. It's per pretty late, but season's upon us. Look at it. You're good to go. For all those, again, who pick up that hunting guide, make sure that you look for the one that says updated, or you can find that on our website at fw.ky.gov and make sure it's got the yellow banner that says updated hunting guide. Thanks again, Gabe, and good luck, at, good, good luck this season. Thank you, you too, Chad. So basically, I mean, I think that goes over a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what I take away from the video, or from the, the reg changes in general, are that zones two and three are really where we wanna be. You know what I mean? Kind of, mm -hmm. kind of probably a mix of the both of them. Because if you look at how they're being regulated now, Zone Three is actually a little bit more stricter than it was. So, you know, Gabe obviously says Zone Four doesn't quite have enough deer. We're trying to boost that up. That's why the regs are in place like they are. Zone One has way too many deer. We're trying to knock those down a little bit. So that's why there's a lot more liberal bag limits in Zone One. It's all for deer management reasons. You know, Gabe obviously. I was talking to him yesterday. And I was asking him about some of these changes. And he says, you know, he's looking at 30 years of historical data mm -hmm. when he's, you know, making these decisions. And, I mean, really, he, he has more information at his fingertips and he knows more about the situation than anybody. Because he has more resources to make decisions based on. So, 100% trust Gabe. And I'm excited about the changes. I, for the most part, hunt zone one. And right off the bat, I say 15 bucks this year. Because mm -hmm. I always take five or six does 
or five, five or six deer, four or five does and one antler deer. And I get uh, two extra deer on my statewide permit this year for no additional cost. Mm-hmm. So I say 15 bucks. I'm mm-hmm. a heavy camper there. But, um, you know, the goal in zone one really is to get hunters who traditionally might have harvested one doe and a buck or two does to take one extra doe. That's really the mindset there. Mm-hmm. And that might help. And Gabe, you know, he also told me that we've never demoted a zone one county to a zone two. You know I mean? We've moved, mm-hmm. we've moved zone four counties to zone three before, mm-hmm. which is a goal. It's also a goal to move zone one counties to zone to two. Zone two. Yeah. And we've never been successful in that. So if you really think about it, that's our biggest challenge as, as trying to manage a deer herd is trying to get the overpopulated counties down. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just, you know, increasing the, the number of tags available to hunters, hoping that they'll take a few more does. When I first started with the department, right after the Civil War. <laughs> but, you know, 15 years ago, we had 650,000 deer. Yeah. Now we're pushing a million. So we don't want to get in the situation that our brethren to the south have with small deer, too mm-hmm. many deer, yep. and browse lines and all the other associated things that come along with too many deer. And we're at a, that critical juncture now <clears throat> where uh, Gabe's research shows we've got to do something. Yeah. And I mean, I, I try to do my part and honestly, I, I think it's probably good to take a few more does and there's some, if you taste better, well, yeah, it does taste great, but also there's hunters for the hungry. We're going to talk with uh, Roger from Hunter, hunters from the hungry here soon. And, uh, you know, he's, he's saying they didn't use all their funding last year. Gabe was telling me this cause Gabe's on the board for hunters for the hungry. They had funding left over to do more with. They didn't get as many deer as they possibly could have had last year. So they, they want more people to donate deer. So if you're in a zone one County, and, you know, you're trying to help out with the deer management. You're trying to knock down a few extra does and help thin the herd a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a need for that meat yourself, somebody out there does. So you, you can donate that. I that. just did a piece with Roger in the magazine about kind of the current status of Hunters for the Hungry. It's coming out in the fall this year or it's in the no, summer? No, it's in the summer. I must have missed that part. Uh, I, it, it was, it was one-pager. Okay, okay. I'll have to go back there and check that. Some of the things I thought were interesting in the video, just as far as information goes, is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Per deer harvested, zone two and three produce significantly more big bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people probably don't think that, but that's where our healthiest herd is. And because there's not overpopulation problems. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, honestly, thinning out those does is going to result in bigger bucks on your property. Mm-hmm. And that should be, I mean, in my opinion, at least what most people want. Mm-hmm. So that's, I thought that was pretty interesting. And there were a few other things in there, but ultimately the takeaway is that if you have any questions at all about what the regs are, you need to check out the updated guide. Mm-hmm. And that's available on the website. You can pull it up on your cell phone, mm-hmm. fw.ky.gov. And it's right there on the very first ticker on the banner on the homepage. It's the first thing you'll see when you get on the website. Exactly. And just look for that orange, yellowish orange updated and get that one. So I, uh, and that's the only one that we have available right now on the mm-hmm. website. But I, uh, I'm looking forward to deer season. I will have a deer knocked down very, very soon. Probably a doe because I just I don't seem to ever be able to pull off the buck in September. I'm not doing something right, or maybe I am because honestly, some of my buddies that killed their bucks in September, I feel bad for them because mm-hmm. I'm sitting there in you know late October with a bow in my hand and mm-hmm. they're they're sitting on the couch watching. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. But me and Jameson actually went and floated the Elkhorn the other day, mm-hmm. and it was on a stretch of the creek that I uh, have had permission to deer hunt. Uh, the private property there that I've got permission for, and I was you know the whole time just looking and thinking about. I know that stretch extremely well. Oh, there's, there's a section of it in a corner there that, I mean, I've, I've flushed so many 
deer deer yeah. out of there bedding uh, i mean you walk through there it's just like a deer lounge I oh mean, yeah there's bedding everywhere i know exactly what corner you're talking about <clears throat> but uh i'm looking forward to it i'm going to kayak in beach my kayak it's actually against the law to shoot a deer from a kayak mm -hmm. and i when i was you know planning this trip last year i actually asked one of the game wardens i said what if i pull my kayak up onto the bank and i sit on it you know just as a something to sit on he said that's still considered shooting from a vehicle mm -hmm. so still illegal so if you plan on maybe kayaking in somewhere there's a lot of wmas that you can do that on you actually have to be off the kayak you know because I, I double checked and made sure i knew what i was doing and if i would have just sat on the kayak on the bank and shot a deer that would have been technically illegal so but it, it's a really fun way to do it to kayak in pull up on the bank get out and you know hide I in some bushes the only thing you can take from a, a conveyance like that is small game squirrels correct um i believe waterfowl Yes, yeah, you can. Yeah. And, but not uh, under power. Yeah, not under power. I don't think you can do the squirrels under power either. I'm no way. If you're floating in a canoe. Yeah, a canoe, obviously, you're not under power. So, a uh, small game. I know you can squirrel hunt. I know you can waterfowl hunt from them. I'm not sure about coyotes. I'm pretty sure you can take coyotes from a, from a uh, kayak or a canoe, mm -hmm. not under power. But I, I, I need to double check. I've seen people do that before, but they're also uh, animal control specialists. So, mm -hmm. they, they might have special you know, uh, abilities that your average person doesn't, but yeah, small game and uh, waterfowl for sure. All right. So as far as deer eggs go, you think that touches on it? I know you got the yes. whole thing printed over there. I mean, mm -hmm. the safest thing we could possibly do is send people to the website. Exactly. So, uh, I wanted to talk about a few other things. Mm -hmm. Dove season's coming up. That's, that's, that's fun. I'm looking forward to that. I saw, do you ever look at memes? I don't know if you're a meme guy. Are you a meme guy? Lee? No, I'm not a meme guy. I saw, have you ever seen the movie tombstone? Yes. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. I saw this one earlier. It was a picture of a dove, right, on top. And then the bottom picture was a um, Wyatt Earp with his double barrel shotgun in that movie, right? And he said, uh, tell him I'm coming for him and hell's coming with me. <laughs> I, was, I was cracking up. I was like, that's exactly how I feel right now about dove season. It was just this dove sitting on a fence post and old Wyatt Earp with a shotgun there. But I'm ready for it. I'm seeing doves everywhere. And honestly, I'm, I'm just itching. When dove season rolls around, I'll be riding around with my shotgun, you know, going to, to and from work with me. And I might swing by the public field on the way home or mm -hmm. somewhere I have private permission or heck my front yard's pretty good size. And there's power line right there this morning. There were about 15 doves on it. So, you know, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I remember if it's on a, if it's a public field, but it's on private property, it's open the first and then yeah. not again until Monday and then not again until the next Saturday. And mm -hmm. that just spreads the hunting pressure out a little bit. And we've got WMAs are open under statewide regulation. <clears throat> we've got a uh, weather forecast now. Have you looked at it? It's calling for some rain, mm -hmm. which you would think would keep people out of the field. So maybe if you are looking well, to get last out there. Last year, I didn't yeah. go because a hurricane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The remnants of Hurricane Harvey, wasn't it, that parked yeah. on top of us? That's what it was, but people were killing. And people, you know, I was like, oh, we're not gonna, there will be nothing. So a couple of us at work that planned to go didn't, and they hammered them. And then I'm just, just disgusted with myself. So the moral of the story is, you might be able to find a less crowded dove field if you go opening day in the rain. Mm -hmm. And you probably... I'm going Monday. You're going Monday? I'll mm -hmm. be out there Sunday. I got a shoot plan for Sunday. But it, moral of the story is, is dove field might not be so crowded. So if public land is where you're looking to go, go ahead and get out there. And based on what we saw last year, doves are probably still going to be flying pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it at all, especially with the summer we've had and the Heavy crops. Heavy thunderstorms will put them down. But yeah. one year at my brother's, it would rain, birds would go down. And then it would quit raining, the sun pop out, they'd fly me. It was one of the best shoots we ever had down there. 
And if we you, just had sporadic thunderstorms, but they weren't heavy. Yeah. If you've got people spread through that field, it'll keep the birds up and moving too, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. The other day I drove by a field and I hardly saw anything and it was a perfect looking dove field. There was like four or five birds on the line. And I was thinking, I bet you all those birds are down there in those sunflowers right now. Mm-hmm. I bet you they're all eating on the ground. But if you've got people spread, that's not going to happen. So No doubt. Yeah, the, the more the more you have, the better it is as it does keep them flying. But the more you have... Uh, the more you need to be smart and practice restraint. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's hard for people. Something you, you get excited and you see a bird that's flush. You know, if you, that, the, the, we talked about this a little bit last week, but if you don't see sky, probably not a good idea to shoot because yeah. I've been peppered and it's no fun. Yeah. It's, so if it's a low bird, let it go. Play it safe. There's a lot of doves out there. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's almost September 1st, right? And September 1st is kind of where it marks like the beginning of, of, of the real good party. All this good, yeah, because, I mean, football season mm-hmm. starts up. I get to watch, uh, I mean, Kentucky plays, obviously, but I'm looking forward to watching Louisville, Alabama, mm-hmm. personally. <laughs> As a Kentucky fan, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. But um, football season starts up. We can go deer hunting. We can go dove hunting. Fishing's starting to get good again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. I guess muskie's getting good again, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that guy, uh, his name's Tyler Allen. He lives uh, out in Manchester. So he's right. There's there. a lot of Allens in Clay County. Really? Well, I'm and sure. when the piece I did on South Fork, Kentucky, uh, we, we showed the remnants of the old Allen Mill. He was hmm. came during a Revolutionary War grant and fought in the Battle of Kings Mountain. I think he was 70 when he built the mill, but he he has a lot of progeny that live in in the I'll Clay ha- County. I'll area. have to ask uh, Tyler if he's related, mm-hmm. but he is uh, from there, and obviously he's right in the middle of some good muskie fishing. And uh, he took me out to the Middle Fork of the Kentucky River above uh buckhorn lake and you know musky fishing stuff i've been doing mm-hmm. it for a year now I, I started trying to catch a musky last july right and i've had rises i've had them bump my baits and i mean it's called the fish of ten thousand casts for mm-hmm. a reason we got out there and we put on the water and he was feeling confident you know but it could still be a pretty tough day and it was a little bit cooler morning there was a lot of fog we were down in the valley a lot of big hills above us and there was just basically an overcast of fog all around us right we uh started making our way up the river and within 300 yards, uh, within 10 minutes, I was hooked up with a 41 and a half incher. Your first muskie. <laughs> yeah, first one. Man, and I, honestly. There are muskie fishermen all that now have bile in their throat all over here listening. Well, be jealous. I, <laughs> like I said, I, I really don't care. But, mm. uh, man, it was it was a blast. I honestly don't even really remember reeling it in. I do remember when I got it next to the boat, and he was telling me rod tip down, so I was keeping my rod tip down. And he had the net, and we missed it on the first pass with the net. And I turned the muskie. So I actually turned it and brought it back to the net, which apparently is a no-no. He told me after the fact, he's like, that's a real good way to pop those hooks out. Because if you think about how you're torquing the hooks mm-hmm. when you turn a fish. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially travels. Yeah, you could easily push it right out against the barb and out of its mouth and lose that fish. He said normally when he's bringing a muskie in, if he has to, instead of turning the fish, he'll bring it all the way around the front of the boat. So you keep the hooks in its, in its face good and tight. And uh, I got lucky. This one was hooked up pretty good. Netted it, got it in the boat, measured it, released it. It was pre- it was pretty awesome to be honest. I mean, for that big of a fish, you know, it was mm-hmm. it was a beast, and there was this fog in the hills, and it was perfect. Let this lawnmower go by. <laughs> I think he's on the schedule. Oh, huh. well, they're doing it. All right, better mow. <laughs> <laughs> I need a red light for outside the building. <laughs> but then we fished uh, ten more minutes, and he was hooked up thirty-seven and a half incher for him. So within. Five, Two trophies, 36 inches trophy. I thought it was 40. 
Well, that's right. We had trophy rags over 36. Is it 40? Yeah, it's 40 now. Uh, For the Master Angler program, it's 40. Because that that muskie was the first one I ever submitted. It used to be 36. Well, it was so he hooked up with a good one, too. And then uh, later on, uh, probably an hour later, we hooked up with one that was bigger than either of them. I didn't see it, but he uh, it came up to the surface, and he said it was bigger than either one, but it ended up getting off. And then as soon as that fog burned off, it was bluebird skies, and we didn't have any Goodbye. More. Yep. We fished until about 5 o'clock in the evening, mm-hmm. and we didn't see a muskie or get a bite. It's like smallmouth on laurel, you know. Once yeah. that fog burns off in the morning, yeah. might as well go home unless it's raining. So I spent uh, – 10 minutes trying to catch a muskie, caught one, and then I spent probably seven and a half, eight, nine, well, let me do the math here, five, probably about 10 hours with no bites or anything. But it was such a good day, man. And we part of it, we, we started fishing in the middle fork of the Kentucky, like I told you. And this guy's actually got three boats. He's got a 16 and a half foot um, with a console, a little, I mean, it's still a smaller boat. He's got a 14 foot John boat with a tiller steer. And then he's got one of those 10 foot pelicans. You know, like the mm. little plastic boat, mm-hmm. and he uses them for different bodies of water, based on how skinny the water is. You know what I mean? Because he can't get. I mean, muskie will go way up in some really small water. Oh, they will. And uh, we switched uh, boats and jumped in the John boat, went to Goose Creek, which if people watched the uh, show, Chad actually caught a muskie there with uh, Seth Davis fishing out of a jet boat last year, and mm-hmm. we we were in the exact spot. I mean, Tyler obviously he's a big fan of the show. He was like that right there. This is exactly where Chad caught that muskie last year on the show. He knew the stump he caught it off of, so. I mean, it was it was a cool experience. I'm really glad but I did. No it. fish there. He said it's probably one of the densest places to catch fish at. Mm-hmm. He said the density is just ridiculous there. But buckhorn is an overlooked, yeah. great musky fishery. Oh yeah, I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's you know, you gotta want to get there. Oh yeah. Well, I got up at two thirty that morning and make my way down there. And, you know, I'll tell you something else. A little small rant. It's not really a rant, but people tell me like after I caught that musky, right? So many people. Oh, you're the luckiest person. You're the and I mean there was some there was definitely some luck involved when you're musky fishing. You got to get lucky, and to catch a fish that big was obviously lucky. But putting yourself in a situation to catch a fish like that is part of it. Part, yes, exactly. part, part of luck's made. You make your own luck a lot of times in yeah. fishing. A lot of people like so basically I, I never had met this guy before. I talked to him on Facebook and he seemed like a nice guy. You know, really friendly. Invited me to go. I, got, I took a day off work, got up at 2.30 in the morning, and drove two and a half hours to meet a stranger to jump in their boat to go fish mm-hmm. this body of water for a fish that most likely not going to catch, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that most people mm-hmm. probably wouldn't do. So that's how you make your luck. You just got to give it a try. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when people tell me how lucky I am, I'm like, yeah, I'm lucky it was a big fish, and I'm lucky it actually happened. But at the same time, I had to do something that the vast majority of people— And you've been people, paying your dues for a year, too. Well, trust me, I've, I failed a lot, mm-hmm. but it felt really good to get it. No doubt. So, do you use the rod I took to Florida, the big beef mobile? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah. That's I bought the thank thank God because I spent some money on that rod just to musky fish with it. Like that was how I justified it in the first place. I finally hooked up, but I didn't use my own reel. Unfortunately, I uh, I was respooling my line on my reel the night before to get ready, and I respooled it, and I'd recently. Uh, put a real oil on my reel also mm-hmm. re-spooled it with 50 pound braid and then as i was you know finishing up i was like man i can't get my drag to tighten up it just won't tighten up so i started taking my reel apart i was thinking my drag bearing or my drag washer probably has some oil on it mm-hmm. took it all apart and when i did that there was this little bitty spring inside the reel that shot out and disappeared somewhere inside my house and then reel was out of commission turns out it, it was the braided line slipping on the spool 
you know how when you put braided mm -hmm. line on a on a baitcaster, mm -hmm. sometimes it'll spin. So my the reel was working fine. I just didn't pay enough attention to know what the problem was, and I actually broke it myself. Did you find this spring? No, I got to probably call Shimano and get a new one sent to me. Mm -hmm. But uh, luckily, he had plenty of uh, reels, so I just slapped one of those bad boys on there and was good to go. I, he was fishing a pretty similar reel to me too. I probably could have just stolen a spring out of his reel and put it in there, but lose another one doing that. And I think uh, the same time I was musky fishing. Or maybe, when did you go to Cumberland? Friday. Friday? So mm -hmm. it was the day after, right? Mm -hmm. And how did you guys do? I think you already kind of told me it was a little it, it was very slow. The fishing gods gave us our rear end on a platter. I wonder why that is. You know, I think it's August. You know, it's yeah. a tough, tough month. Um, during the winter, after the, the, the turnover, and I don't want to get too technical, but, the, after, you know. We've talked about turnover <clears> before. Um, once the... the, the lake in the middle of the winter basically the dissolved oxygen is pretty much spread throughout the water column yeah as the sun heats the top layers in spring they start to layer up like a cake <clears throat> and the habitat of the striper gets pushed and pushed and pushed and and as you get to late summer early fall uh september is a really perilous month i looked at the the core uh, report that mike harden sends me and uh, the dissolved oxygen now starts really dropping at 35 feet to 80 feet. So you're fishing either above 35 or below or 80. Or below, and they're, they're probably not going to be above 35. Yeah, so you have to fish way deep. You're going to have to fish way deep. And not. we were probably fishing right in the middle of the dead zone. Oh, really? That's um, what I was wondering, because when I've been going striper fishing lately, I've been fishing <clears> about 40, which will put you right in that no no fish area. And it drops to like 3.1 parts per million or however they measure it. It's like 8, 8 or eight eight six seven 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 six 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 three. Oh wow and then at 35 then it's like 3.1 3.2 3.1 3.2 then at 80 to 85 it goes back up to five and then six and seven for another band and two about 100 105 feet yeah and then it drops off to nothing again so you're really looking at a really small zone mm -hmm. really deep in the water column. And I think when they get compressed like that, they stress a little bit and they're not as aggressive oh, feet. sure. And not just that, but fishing 90 feet deep is tough. Tough, you know? man. Yeah. We, tried, we did. We bottom fished deep. We tried to get way deep. And uh, a, a good friend of mine, uh, he, he knows a guy who was downrigging, and we fished kind of in the same spot for a while. And uh, he was downrigging 95 feet with uh, umbrella rigs. And they caught four the day before and caught nothing on Saturday and nothing on Sunday. It's tough to control your bait that deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you're running off planer boards or something like that. Yes. yes. And you're doing everything you can. But when you're you're probably moving about three miles an hour or so on the controlling three miles an hour with these baits off planer boards. And I honestly don't know. I'm sure that the people who actually striper fish a lot know what the drift is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even with a two ounce weight down there yeah it's going to drift way back yeah yes yeah, right. so, so it's it's hard to tell if you've got 90 feet down from the planer boards you, you might could be, be fishing 60 or yeah. 70 yeah it's hard to tell uh, but i'm sure the guys like sasser and the guides actually know exactly what the math is on that probably has something to do with water density too if i had to guess which mm -hmm. is all temperature related yes probably has to do with o2 there, it, it's probably so scientific but anyway i mean at least you got to get out on the lake well, and i spent uh, 14 hours on the water with my brother and yeah. We don't get to fish often, and we—I mean, my stomach hurt the next day from laughing. So was it hot and sunny? Yeah, and then we we ended up just jumping in the water a few times. We'd bottom fish and be like, "God, I'm dying." We just jump yeah. in the water, and swim for a while, and then re rig. And the bait we got was thread fins, not yeah. L lines, yeah, you and want they were—I mean, the biggest ones we found were four inches. Most of them were 
we had a lot of young of the year too little teeny weenies yeah so really you want <clears throat> five to six seven inch l wives mm-hmm. would really be the way to go i think l wives i hate to say it because they're not native but i think l wives will outfish the well, that's part of the reason the striper's in there mm-hmm. is to take care of those L wives. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I was thinking about these pieces I've been working on uh, here lately in the studio, and for some reason this deer hunting thing just popped in my head, and I thought I'd tell this little story. So we just covered deer eggs, but and you were talking about earlier how when was it when you started? Two thousand is when yeah. you started. There were six hundred fifty thousand deer, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's a little over a million. So in 1945, there was 2,000 deer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the percent increase on that is, like what, 500? What is yeah. that? It's ridiculous. But uh, there was a story. Some of, the, some of the guys that worked for us back when they were doing the deer restoration efforts, and if I'm not mistaken, deer restoration ended in 99. Mm-hmm. I think I read that the last uh, deer stocking was in Perry County in 99. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they started initially trapping them at Lake Cumberland. And what they would do, they had the tennis courts, with these big fences around mm-hmm. them, right? So in the winter, when the when the state park was closed, they'd go and they'd throw bait out on the tennis courts, and the deer would go in there and they'd eat, and then when the deer were in there eating early morning, our guys would just go up and close the fence. Mm-hmm. So we had all these deer trapped on these tennis courts. And there was a story, I wish I could remember his name. I think it, I think his last name was Powers, but I'm not 100% sure. And uh, Phillips? I can't remember. It's not John Phillips, was it? John Phillips. There was two of our, our program coordinators that yeah, were there. Yeah, he was a deer coordinator for a long time. I'm not sure if it was him or another guy. But he, he was obviously mentioned in this story. But there's a story about uh, one of the guys down there trapping these deer on Lake Cumberland uh, catching a spike one day in there, a little spike buck, and he talks about wrestling it to the ground and tagging it, and then they relocated it somewhere else in the state. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you may have told me. Yeah, this is a cool story, wasn't it? Yeah. And then uh, six years later, this guy's hunting somewhere out there randomly in the state, and he shoots an absolute monster deer, 202 inches, if I'm not mistaken, which had to be one of the biggest deer ever taken at the time right mm-hmm. so six years after he wrestles this uh, spike buck to the ground and gets released he goes out there kills this monster and when he walks up it has a tag in his ear and it was the same spike buck that he had wrestled to the ground <laughs> oh, no. that's, that's incredible no that's a that's a crazy story that's just uh i mean absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. to think that little one-year-old spike buck got really into a monster relocated turned into a monster and the same guy that tackled it to the ground and put the tag in its ear ended up getting it six years later i mean what are the chances it's crazy, but moral of the story, we went from less than 2,000 deer mm-hmm. to, in about 60 years, over a million deer. I know. It's, a it's amazing. Honestly, a million is probably too many. I don't, I don't know. In 1977 or 78, we hard, we tele, back then we checked. Yeah. 44 turkey. 44 turkeys. That was, uh, you know what? It's, and, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. We've got uh, a guy that we've been in contact with here at the show who most likely, when uh, Kentucky opened deer hunting again after it was closed for all that time, most likely took the first deer taken in the state. He, on the very first morning of the very first Kentucky deer season, at first light, shot a buck. And he said the sun, you know, it was the very first light. So there's a very good chance that it was the first deer Mm -hmm. harvested if he shot it first day, first light, first season. So I think we might try to get with him and do a story. That would be awesome. Yeah, I think it would be too. And it would basically be about the, you know, deer restoration. I'm not sure what it'd be. Probably personality piece. I have no idea. But I, I would really like to hear him tell that story and to think about this guy might have taken the first deer ever legally harvested in a Kentucky deer hunting season. That's pretty cool. And to think that that person is, you know, he's still out there hunting deer today. Mm-hmm. So it has not been that long ago since we didn't even have deer hunting in the state. It's pretty wild to think about. And, you know, when I was a kid, 
um, my granddad lived in Clarksville, Indiana, right across from Louisville. And we would go out to the Army ammunition plant, which was defunct, but they had these straight lines of pine trees and they had deer in them. And we would go out there and eat our early trolley ice cream and look and be so excited just to see, to a deer. see a deer. Yeah, people said back in the day, if you were deer hunting and you saw a deer, that was a good day. Uh, it was a great day. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to go see a deer on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I, I got to work Saturday morning, so it'd be Saturday evening I'll be out there. And I mentioned uh, on the podcast before that first deer of the year always gets my heart beating. Because, I mean, and I, I like I said, this is the exact same thing I said before, but leading up to season i'm picturing this big buck walking towards me in my Mm -hmm. mind and it's all i'm thinking about and so when i see that first spot of brown coming towards me when i'm out there for the first time in my mind it's always a big buck you Mm -hmm. know and i have to see about five or six does before that feeling finally starts to go away Mm -hmm. and i and i come back down to reality and realize i'm probably gonna have to watch deer walk by me 550 times Mm -hmm. before i actually do see a big buck so Mm -hmm. well worth the wait though no doubt no doubt what what do we got here? I've, I, I I did not prepare very well for this podcast because I've been so busy lately. Me too. As you have been, I've only got four bullet points written down. Well, I mean, I've well, I've ran through mine except one thing I'd like to say. Um, with with the lake being so high for this time of year, I think we're going to be okay. Which lake? Cumberland. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, well, I came out of nowhere with my deer thing and interrupted your story. Oh, so. you're fine. You, you know, we were talking about D.O. and things of that nature. Uh-huh. But back in the day, I wrote a piece. Hurricane Ivan in 2004 caused the lake to jump 13 feet in about three and a half days. Uh-huh. And uh, I just hope we avoid that because we had a, a pretty significant walleye kill and uh, we had some stripers stress. And I don't remember reports of stripers being dead, but we had a similar situation several years ago where we had some Nice stripers bellying up. Yeah. So, well, that was when the lake was drawn, probably. Uh, 2004, no, it was before. It just okay. jumped. What happens is, one, when you get that big an influx of rain, it mixes with that cool oxygenated water that the striper and walleye have to have, and mm-hmm. it denudes that habitat. And number two, when they open the dam, it pulls right from that layer of yep. that of their habitat, yep. too. So it's a double whammy. That stinks that they pull from that same exact layer that the striper need. But obviously, it's... I mean, they didn't plan it. just way well, you know. well, like I was told the other day, the purpose of the reservoirs, like Cumberland, isn't for fishing. The main purpose is flood, flood control. Flood control and hydropower. Yeah, so and that's, that's the primary reason that we have them. So that's what their primary concern is going to be. So I can't complain too much about them pulling the... They the, had a problem at the hatchery that year. A 10-pound walleye plugged up their uh, intake for the trout. Man. It was dead. And that's when we had that. And they were pulling water to fuel the Wolf Creek Natural Fish Hatchery. And it's like, cork? Oh, <laughs> it's like, why are we getting water in it? Pulled apart. It was a 10 pound walleye. Man. <laughs> I wish I could have been down there to it, catch that before it, it got in their way. It really seems when that happens, when we when we have these uh, DO issues, and, and, and it's usually in September, um, it's unfortunately, it tends to get the bigger fish first. Yeah. That's sad. So. It's been a quiet hurricane season. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's see. I had all my bullet points. Deer reg changes. I think mm-hmm. we covered those. I mean, obviously, people can go check out the guide. I had musky. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about that. It was sweet. I got to go catch more, though. But like I said, I caught that 41 and a half inch. Trophy fish first time out. What I was thinking is we used to have a statewide reg of 30 uh-huh. on some, and then we raised it on some to 36, and we... That's what was sticking in my head. But I think you're right. 40 has been the... It's what it says on the website. Yeah, it's been been that way for a while. The first fish I've ever actually submitted for the Trophy Fish Program. 
because I had to fish so hard for it for mm -hmm. over a year to catch it. So I submitted that muskie on uh, the day after I caught it. And I don't, you're the guy who does that, right? Amy. Amy. I do the state record. Well, Amy will have a picture in her inbox, I'm sure, mm -hmm. to approve. And then I, you know, I, I got all ramped up after I submitted that. I was like, I got to get the master angler. I got to get two more species. I went fishing uh, the the next day, catfishing, and I was catching bullhead. So I was sitting there trying to measure up. Was that when you were night fishing? Yeah. So I was trying to measure up a 14 inch bullhead. I just couldn't do it. Looks it. like your girl caught a really fat bass. Yeah, she she does that. <laughs> How big was that one? Uh, it had to be over six and a half or so. Yeah, it looked. It looked. I was thinking six and a half, seven. I'm, it's, I, I measured the biggest bass I caught that night, and it went 21. I need to get 23 for a trophy bass. Mm -hmm. If I had to guess. Did you measure hers, length on hers? No. probably. I bet, I bet it was. It looked like it was pushing it. I didn't have a tape measure with me, so I just took my rod, and I laid it down, and I marked on my rod how long it was. And when I came back, I got a tape measure and measured that out. But 23-inch bass is... It's hard to get. That's a bigger bass than you think it is when, you, when you look at it. I mean, that's got to be... Smallmouth is only 20. This time, a 20 inch small. I mean, still, that's a gigantic one. I've caught a yeah. bunch over 20 now, but yeah, a, I feel like still a, I feel like the small mouse might be easier, it's easier than the large mouth, definitely. Because there are certain reservoirs you can go catch a 20 inch bass on Cumberland or Dale or Laurel. You know, it's obviously tough fishing, and you still got to catch that fish. And I mean, you might spend several days, mm -hmm. and even if you're somebody who really knows what they're doing, it might take you several days to catch one that big this time of year. Really hard to do. Mm -hmm. But a 20-inch smallmouth is pretty doable. 23-inch largemouth. You're talking about, during the spawn, what could be an 8-pound fish. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah, that's a that's a toad. Yeah. I'm going to go back and try sometime soon. One of my, the farm pond at my house, I hadn't been able to catch a good fish out of there in forever. And that night that uh, you're talking about, we went 3 over 5. So, pretty good day. But yeah, anyway, a 23-inch largemouth, much tougher to catch than you mm -hmm. would think it would be. And uh, anyway, still a goal. And I got a question for you. For the Master Angler Program, do they have to be submitted within a calendar year? I don't know. There's no there's no time limit. Well, I thought it was three in a year. Well, um, my understanding is you just get three of different species and you're okay. Oh, I thought it was three within a year of different species. No, you've got time. Okay. Well, that's something that I'm interested and in And it's now. kind of self-directed. It's, it's changed. It used to be um, Amy would have to... She would issue that, and it got to be, you know. Too much time. Uh, well, and there was people submitting. There's one particular guy. He took his business clients out, and one of the ways they would talk business is they would catch hybrids below Green Up Lock and Dam, and he would send in, when you would look at the end of Trophy Fish Rewards for the year, I mean, this was like three pages for the same dude. <laughs> so that's a lot of work. You yeah. know, and he was doing that. To get a certificate in the mail, then he give it to his client, and it kind of cemented the business relationship. Well, I don't Which, I mean, not understandable, but still. He's trying, isn't he? Yeah, that makes a lot of work for, for, yeah, you know, for, you know, for us. our end of it. Yes. Yeah, we are limited on resources anyway. So. Yes. Anyway, I uh, run through these bullet points real quick. Deer egg changes, knocked mm -hmm. it out. Muskie, got it knocked out. Striper fishing, I'm sorry it didn't go as well as well, you hoped. And it'll be good. Just needs to, Once the turnover hits, it'll really improve. One good thing about this time of year, if you're out on Lake Cumberland on the weekend and it's hot and sunny, there's probably plenty of other stuff to look at. There <laughs> is. To, and there's lots of swimming and everything, yeah, you know. Things to enjoy. Yes, there are lots of things to look at. And then the float trip, me and Jameson went there today. We actually killed them on Elkhorn. The water was at 350 for the first time. Time since uh, yeah, March. I haven't, I haven't been able to fish Elkhorn in forever. Oh, no. So finally it got down to the right water level and I said, deer season isn't here yet. I've got no excuse not to go. 
So we went out there and we did really, really well, which was fun. Looking forward to deer hunting on the creek. And uh, dove season's almost here. I'm, I'm ready for that. And a recipe. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if we've talked about a good way to cook dove before on the on the show, but my favorite way, probably your favorite way, mm-hmm. is just to debreast them, r- wrap that bad boy in bacon with like a, a jalapeno or mm-hmm. a banana pepper in there, put a little bit of cream cheese in it, mm-hmm. and then stick a toothpick to it so it all holds together, and just throw it on the grill until the bacon is done. Some people do that, but if they, some people don't like the cream cheese, or some people can't eat hot food, they'll use barbecue sauce. Mm. And that makes them, but bacon and a little bit of barbecue makes them really good. I'd say I like the cream cheese and the bacon. I'm not actually a huge fan of the jalapenos or the banana peppers, but mm-hmm. I, I like the flavor. Mm-hmm. So I'll put it all on there and then I'll pull that part out. And eat it. Yeah. So I still get the flavor of the jalapeno or the banana pepper, but I'm really just eating bacon wrapped dove breast with cream cheese on it, which is. A friend of mine did it as an appetizer one time. He, you know, flayed the breast off the bone and uh, sauteed it in garlic butter, heavy on the garlic. Yeah. And just saute them until the, they, you know, the, just a few minutes, you know, you don't want to overcook dove. And we just put them out on a platter and popped them like oh yeah, like wings. I mean, we crushed a gigantic plate in like 20 minutes. I wonder if you could throw one of them on a, like the bacon wrapped one with the mm-hmm. cream cheese like we're talking. I wonder if you could put one of those on a biscuit and it'd be really good too. I don't know, but I don't see why it wouldn't be. I might have to, I'm just, I'm hungry right now, Lee. So honestly, <laughs> I'm just starving. So I'm over here thinking about how I'd like to eat one of these right now. And I think if I had everything I took in front of me right now, I'd throw one on a biscuit and see if it was any good. Another one people do is marinate them in uh, Italian dressing. Yeah. And grill them like three minutes aside. That They're great that way. All right. Too much talk about food for right. But that's three. We, hey, we've got four good recipes. Uh, bacon wrapped with uh, cream cheese and jalapeno. Bacon wrapped with a little bit of uh, barbecue sauce. Flame off the breast, saute them in garlic butter, heavy on the garlic. And um, you can uh, jam out on your delicious things. And also marinate them in Italian dressing and then grill them. I bet you, just I never have done this, but I'm willing to bet that you could probably toss them in the crock pot too. Mm-hmm. And because uh, that's pretty much my go to for some deer meat. If I'm like cooking deer meat for it's a good way to do squirrel with barbecue sauce, it ends up tasting like somewhat like pulled pork. I've heard rabbits are good too that way. Mm-hmm. But I, if I'm like cooking dinner or cooking food for the next day at work or the next night's dinner, before I go to bed, I'll just toss some, you know, a roast or um, a piece of tenderloin or something like that in the crock pot with some potatoes and some salt and pepper and garlic powder. And maybe a little bit of cayenne because I like a little bit of spice. And I mean, next morning I wake up, I've got delicious food ready to roll. So, I mean, you, I don't see why you couldn't throw a limit of doves in the uh, crock pot mm-hmm. and cook it and probably come out real tender. Yeah, I, I suspect that it would. All right, well, I'm going to try it. Thanks for coming on, Lee. Unless you got anything else, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, be be careful this weekend if you're dove hunting. Just remember, don't shoot a low bird. And if you're deer hunting, uh, if you're in a deer stand, wear your safety harness and Play it safe Mm -hmm. and check the deer guide because there are a lot of changes. changes. Literally, as Gabe said, if you are a deer hunter in the state of Kentucky, something has changed for you. Mm -hmm. You you can't be anywhere at all without something being different than it was last year, whether it's just the number of tags available to you or when you can harvest specific um, does or anything like that. Something has changed, so check out the new deer guide. Do we have the new ones at Walmart by now? Do you know? I don't know, but um, you can print one off the website yeah, right just now. Get online, get on fw.ky. You know, I was at Walmart today, but I didn't really look. But uh, at lunch, I had to run an errand. Yeah. And I don't recall seeing them, but that doesn't mean they weren't there. Yep, yep. All right. They should be within a couple of days. All right, Lee, thanks for coming. All right, man.